0: ESPN Daily is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com/slash nba twenty three. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime.
1: Ryan Hawkins Smith. Tonight we've got Game Three, the NBA Finals series, moving to Miami. The Heat came back from 15 points down in Game Two on Sunday night to tie the series. Afterwards. The Heat's unquestioned leader, Jimmy Butler, he was asked about what makes this Heat team different.
0: Make or miss shots, we're going to be who we are because we're not worried about anybody else. It's how it's been all year long, and um, that's not going to change. So that's what I think it is. I think it's the I don't give a damn factor.
1: Ryan, what were you thinking
2: when you heard Jimmy Butler say that? Well, there's two things that come to mind. One is as as a writer and a reporter – this guy's a great quote. <laughs> I just get super excited when I see athletes that are willing to kind of let it fly. But the second thing that comes to mind is, is a little more profound, which is that this is the essence of the Jimmy Buckets persona. Mm. This is a guy who, um, you know, no one gave a damn about him for long stretches of his life, not just as a basketball player either, but as a, as a person. And so he has adopted that. And when you look at the secret of his success, that I don't give a damn. Part of him, it's it's key. It's it's what makes him Jimmy Buckets. And Jimmy Buckets, as you're saying, it, it's not just a nickname. It really is
1: a testament to his persona, uh, to his leadership qualities, and his toughness. And perhaps more importantly than anything else, to his clutchness.
0: Another step back shot by Butler from the wing. It's up and good again. Jimmy Butler. That's why they call Jimmy Buckets into the paint. Step back in a jumper they call him jimmy buckets
1: you have a story that was posted today it's the origin story of the jimmy buckets persona
2: when did jimmy buckets spring to life well there's no birth certificate officially naming when jimmy buckets was born but my in my reporting i found that you can trace the origins of when he became that guy and it's january 30th 2010 he was a junior at Marquette, uh, and the Marquette Golden Eagles were playing number 19 UConn on the road. It was a it was a huge game. UConn was really good. They were a year away from being national champions. Uh, they had Kemba Walker and a bunch of other future NBA guys, but Marquette were struggling, and Marquette was uh, 0-5 on the road, and as we've seen in the playoffs this year and in other years, it was a game that Jimmy, Jimmy Butler knew they had to win.
0: Up and under. Nice athletic move by Jimmy Butler. What a finish
2: by Jimmy Butler. He has come on so strong this year. Yeah, this is a game that probably almost no one listening to this watched or will ever watch. Um, It's (laughs) not going to go down uh, as an all-time great, uh, most memorable history of college basketball kind of game. But it was a game that had all of the elements of of Jimmy Buckets. Look at that. Jimmy Butler playing above the rim now. He's got eight. all of the things that we see today, you could see back then. It was a desperate team, um, sort of out of the picture on the national scene. And they had their backs against the wall, uh, facing an opponent that looks way more talented on paper. And it was a game that required a clutch play in the final moments. Jimmy Butler, he's going to have to drive on Edwards. He'll go to the basket. He shoots. these
0: yeah, down with two points.
2: This was the moment when a barely recruited kid from Texas, a kid who had to go to junior college for a year and hardly played as a sophomore, this is the moment when he announced himself to the world as uh, a person to watch in the future.
1: Jimmy Butler's been underestimated for most of his basketball life, from his days in high school in Texas to his time at Marquette, and even early into his career in the NBA. Butler's had to prove he belongs everywhere he's been. And belong, he does. A six-time NBA All-Star, Butler leads the Heat into Game 3 of the NBA Finals tonight against the Nuggets. But what's easy to miss is how it all started. So today, Ryan Hawkinsmith takes us back to a frigid winter's day in Hartford, Connecticut to pinpoint the moment when Jimmy Butler became Jimmy Buckets. I'm Jeremy Schaaf. It's Wednesday, June 7th. This is ESPN Daily.
0: Picture this. You arrive at your hotel. You have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country. You have your laptop open, ready to begin. And the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high speed Wi Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at lq.com.
1: Ryan Hockensmith, you didn't really get into Jimmy Butler's growing up story, but it is important to know. That he he did not grow up in an ideal situation.
2: Yeah, I didn't get too deep into it. It's been covered extensively, and he's described it as, a, as just a, a pretty painful um, upbringing. And he's come to terms with it, but he spent large chunks of his life with his parents not in his daily life. And you know he's he's mentioned a quote that his mom once once said to him, "I don't like the look of you. You got to go." And he ended up living all around Houston with different families, different places. And, you know, when I talked to his former teammates and coaches at, at Marquette, they all kind of said the same thing, which is that he didn't openly talk about it, same as he doesn't really talk about it too much now. Um, but like his, his teammate, Darius Johnson Odom said to me, you don't need to know how he grew up. You can feel it when you're around him. How did basketball become what would define him? Basketball was not, it was his saving grace as a kid, but he was not a hot prospect. He's remarkable in recent basketball memory because he was the number 82 recruit, not in the country, in the state of Texas as a high school senior. Think about that. How many of our best American basketball players were like not in the top 75 of their state as a senior? It's unbelievable. He went to Tyler Community College uh, in Tyler, Texas, and to see if he could drum up some interest from a D1 program. And even back then, most recruiting services didn't even list him among the top 100 JUCO prospects after his freshman year of college. And I'll just, I'll pause on that for a second. Just think about right now, if there is a kid who played his freshman year in junior college, who 15 years from now will be the guy who seems like he's going to win every game despite having a worse team. It's hard to fathom. It really is. You know, Marquette had an assistant coach named Scott Monarch, and he had seen some games of Jimmy Butler, and he thought he had an okay skill set. He was big. He played tough defense. He was a very, very tough kid. But as far as, like, he's going to... Let's bring him into Marquette, and he'll take us to the Final Four... Even his his biggest believer, Scott Monarch, didn't quite see that even then. I mean, this is really
1: unusual in basketball. It might not be so unusual in baseball, but we're talking about at this point, somebody who's 19, 20 years old, who's going to be a superstar and nobody sees it. So how does that evolution after he leaves Tyler, which I believe is the rose capital of the world, mm-hmm. for Milwaukee, Wisconsin, one of the beer capitals of the world, How how, how do we start? Uh, the evolution towards Jimmy Buckets.
2: Well, he came in even at Marquette. You know, Marquette was a solid program, you know, top 25 team, but he came in as a sophomore uh, and he, he was on the bench. He he did not play very much. It was, a, it was a bumpy season getting adjusted to playing at this higher level and he could not get on the court very much. And he would often turn, there was a young grad assistant there named Jamie McNeely and... um you know, he would turn to him and he would vent, you know, how do I get on the court? He just kept asking him, how do I get more playing time? You know, and McNeely was very blunt with him. You know, he's a good friend and a good coach to him. And he said, listen, you're not going to take a bunch of shots. You're not going to score a bunch of points, but there's no one that is just determined to get boards and get in people's faces on defense. Mm -hmm. If you adopt that persona and that skill set, just focus entirely on that. I think we can make the case that that's where you get your minutes. And so they went to Buzz Williams, the head coach there. And and he said, yeah, sold, you know, and Butler fought and scrapped and he, he ended up being their sixth man. Um, and they just flat out told him, we need you to do the dirty work. And so that first year at Marquette, he did it. You know, they named him super sub that year. Uh, he was their best player off the bench. <laughs> you know, think about this. This is Jimmy Butler at age 19 or 20 years old coming off the bench of a decent team and he averaged more rebounds 3.9 than shot attempts which he averaged three shots per game that year so he barely was an offensive thought and he just crashed the boards.
1: So he's embodying in his first year at Marquette what we now know as heat culture, the hustle and You know, it's the adage, right? If you work hard enough, if you hustle enough, people are going to give you a chance to show them that you can do more. How does that play out for Jimmy as a junior?
2: Well, they loved it. They loved the things that he did for the team and being selfless. Um, And his first year, it just was totally unsexy. There was nothing um, that indicated that that he had this in him. But, you know, a lot of the players and coaches I talked to would talk about There was Jimmy Butler that played as a sophomore at Marquette in games. And then there was Jimmy Butler in open gym. And the Jimmy Butler in open gym, if there was footage, you'd see the player that we see right now. But that just wasn't his role on the team. But the coaches came to him. They really appreciated what he had done as a sophomore. And they said, listen, we want you to keep doing what you're doing, but we want you to expand the role. We We want you to also add in, go get some points for us. And we also want you you know, as a as a team leader to take a huge step forward. And Butler wanted that, but this was the first time in basketball where he was told, go be the man. And so that's that was the task in front of him. And for Butler
1: being the man, what did that mean in terms of the way he interacted with his teammates, especially in practice?
2: Well, this is a, this will be shocking news, but he was pretty tough on his teammates. Um, Stunning. One of one of the parts of my story that was most interesting was I asked all of the teammates of his that I talked to. I said they said how good he was for them, how much he pushed them. And, and the team motto was grind together, shine together. And so he was a nonstop voice in everybody's ears. And I asked his teammates. So, OK, so it helped you. Did you like it? And the number of guys that looked into the Zoom camera and went, well, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, they didn't, they didn't love it. He was a tough. He was tough on teammates. And I think we still see that to this day. And one of the things that annoyed the crap out of some of his teammates is he started to basically become a player coach. And they would run sprints where you'd have to run the length of the court and touch the end line and then run back. And if he saw a guy not quite get to the line, even by an inch, he, he'd bust them. He'd say it out. Hey, get back there. We got to do it again. And there were even some times when it was his team that would have to run extra. If, if somebody got caught cheating, he'd still call them out for it. And teammates hated that. <laughs> they were doubling up on running because they had this guy who all of a sudden is stepping forward and, and kind of calling them out for this stuff. And, but it pushed everybody. And it 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 made him ascend to this place in the team where it was borderline coach. And it especially became that because coaches were impressed. They loved that they had this guy who was kind of doing their job for them. And so it got to the point where Jimmy Butler, as a junior in college, was given full autonomy to stop practice anytime he wanted. And he did it. He was not shy about using that power. He absolutely would do it. Look,
1: it's one thing to be that guy if you're a star, but he wasn't a star. So what gave him the authority other than the coaches saying
2: that he should have that role with his teammates to act in that way? Well, one of the things that... (laughs) The guys were, uh, you know, they kind of used coded language a little bit, but like Jimmy can be like a little scary, (laughs) you know, Jimmy's staring at you and barking at you. It doesn't matter if he if he averaged three shots a game. It's like, you know what? I think I'm going to do what he's asking me to do. And so he commanded a presence Mm. um, in every room he walked into. And he 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 fostered that by being one of the the main social scene people on the team. Jimmy was a guy that people wanted to hang out with. And so his room became one of the main hangouts and a bunch of guys talked about how he would oftentimes take the per diem that that players would get for for road games and he would save it up and he he'd end up buying the pizzas, you know, buying mm. the food and treat some of these guys that he You know, no one used the word torture, but like he tortured him in practice sometimes. But then he would say, hey, come on over. I got some pepperoni pizza coming. And this is where that always makes up for it. It does. It's sweet and sour, right? (laughs) Like if you got a pizza, you can yell at me all you want. And so that's where everybody got to see the the lighter side of Jimmy Buckets. But that that lighter side, uh, how would you describe it? He's he's a personality that is he's really hard to get your arms around. I think that continues to to this day. One thing that everybody talks about, he loves country music. Uh, it has been it's every profile I've ever written about him <laughs> includes the idea that, that he, he is country. He's from Texas. He loves country music. And but playing it in front of teammates, it started as um, I don't even know if I would call it a prank. It, it kind of came from an it was an angry prank, if that's the thing. Um, he was getting irritated at how many guys would be, have their headphones on listening to music, but they'd have it so loud that it just, everybody else had to listen to their, their music too. So he just started blasting country music because he thought it would get under everybody's skin and it would make a point. Hey, put your headphones on, turn it down. We don't all need to hear your music. But then he fell in love with it. Now, there was a, a, another um, musician with country roots at
1: least, that he was very fond of, even at this point in her career. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I had a couple of his teammates who I, you know, you're talking, you're doing a good interview with him. And then a couple guys just dropped in, you know, Jimmy is the biggest Miley Cyrus fan on earth. And uh, <laughs> so he was a Swifty for Miley Which is saying Cyrus. saying something.
1: Which is saying yes. something. Yeah. Yes,
2: yeah. So I don't know if he's still number one in the power rankings, but he certainly was back then. Mm-hmm. He loved Hannah Montana. He would have the show on in their room. Great Disney show, right? Great, great Disney show. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. A part of my uh, my fatherhood, a part of that part of my life. Um, and it was a part of Jimmy's, you know, every his teammates would stop in to see what Jimmy was up to, and <laughs> they'd say, oh my God, he's watching he's watching Disney Channel again. And they would go somewhere else because it turns out uh, Hannah Montana not as popular with his teammates as it was with with Jimmy. And he, his roommate, Junior Cadogan, um, he would he would chuckle talking about how uh, Butler ended up buying a Hannah Montana backpack. Wait, wait. So merchandise?
1: There was merchandise. Now I gotta say, the merchandise part is really what stood out to me from your story. I mean, that was I I can't. I mean, so he had he he's he's a junior at Marquette. He's got a Hannah Montana backpack. Nothing wrong with that, obviously. But it's hard to imagine. Larry Bird at Indiana State, Michael Jordan at North Carolina with backpacks that would have been the equivalent.
2: Yeah. Yeah. His <laughs> fandom was it was not surface level, man. He was buying the merch. He loved it. And the reason the Hannah Montana thing came up in interviews was because he famously would wear these unorthodox, unexpected outfits like mm. he had this pink bunny costume Um, that he would wear sometimes. I mean, think about that. This is like, oh, hey, there's that guy from the basketball team. He's really good. Wait, what's he wearing? It's a pink bunny costume with a Hannah Montana backpack. Like, what is going on there? There was another anecdote where some guy said he bought a bunch of skateboarding gear, even though he didn't really skateboard. And so he would just, Mm. he would leave, (laughs) he would leave his room as a skateboarder for the day. And he would take on these different personas. And listen, I... I asked Junior Cadogan. I said, Does it, "Did everybody end up goofing on him all the time?" He was like, <laughs> he laughed because he was like, "Listen, not many people ever actually made fun of Jimmy. But even if you did, he he tended to not take it too seriously. He had pretty thick skin. I mean, go back to that quote, like, I don't give a damn.' Coming up today,
1: Jimmy Buckets was born.
0: your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. When this
1: began so many minutes ago, you were telling us that Jimmy Bucket's That nickname, that persona came to life on a specific day that you can pinpoint, January 30th, 2010. Marquette is a team at that point that looks like, if it's lucky, it's headed to the NIT. Uh, They've lost five straight games on the road. Now they are on the road. They're trying to avoid losing six straight. They're in Hartford playing the number 19 team in the country, UConn, featuring Kemba Walker, What else made this game significant for Jimmy Butler and for Marquette?
2: He'd had a pretty good year in this new role as like, hey, go score some points and lead this team. He'd had a pretty good year. He'd led the team in scoring in a bunch of games, but the team was really scuffling. Like They were headed towards uh, sort of a 500-level season, and that would have been a fail. It kind of all came down to this UConn game. A week earlier, they had lost on the road at Syracuse and fought really hard to the point where Buzz Williams said to the team, I I don't know when this is going to come together, but it will, and I hope it's soon. And that's what happened this night. Jimmy Butler heard that. And the game is the perfect summary of what he does. When you watch him, he's not a guy who's going to hit five threes in a row or have a bunch of dunks. He has to fight and scrap. And I use the phrase that he finds his points in the couch cushions, you know? <laughs> That's how he played that night. It's how he's played his whole career. Um, and the pressure, the pressure that was uh on Butler that night and the team, um, he had to push himself, he had to push his teammates, and it was his mission. We gotta win this game. and it's
1: almost as if he had a vision he had some kind of premonition about how important this would be to shaping who he would become as a player and his
2: legacy and that's evident in the way that he he got himself ready yeah he's the king i mean when you look back at this heat team and other heat teams other teams in his career there are a lot of zombie teams like borderline okay they're gone wait oh my god they're they're back mm. they're up they're up and running here look out um, and that's kind of what this Marquette team, that's where they were. And Jimmy always prepared. He's always prepared uh, big time for for basketball. And he had this ritual that he would do, good times, bad times, anything in between, where he would, he'd get a subway footlong sub, uh, tr- <laughs> chips and a drink. Uh, it was right across the street from where Jamie McNeely's office was. And so he would go in there and he would crush some tape. And in the days leading up to the Yukon game, the coaches, they would they were very prescriptive about what they needed. They would show him tape. Here's what we need you to do. And it would be the game plan. And they'd have video associated with it. And for this game, they wanted him to to guard Stanley Robinson, mm. who was a senior six foot nine, really good big man. He had crushed them the year before on UConn beat Marquette. Um so he's watching Stanley Robinson tape, eating his sub. And uh, at the end, he said to McNeely something pretty surprising. He said, hey, put on some Kemba Walker tape. <laughs> Why Kemba Walker? Kemba Walker was, uh, at the time, ha- was a rising force. But he was still a year away. The next year, he was the best player in the country. He was this lightning bolt, unstoppable force. But man, on film and in many games that year, Kemba Walker was just the guy. Like, he just sucked up all the oxygen in the room. Jimmy saw something in Kemba Walker. So he asked um, to, to put on some Kemba Walker tape. And his coach was like, uh, Yeah, sure, fine. Like you're six foot seven, not the fastest guy in the world. We're not going to put you on this guy um, that could run circles around you. But he put on the tape and Jimmy watched it. So how does it play out when they actually meet in Hartford?
1: Not just Walker versus Butler, but UConn versus Marquette.
2: Marquette had a lead at the halftime, 34 29. But Walker was kind of doing whatever he wanted. And there was this feeling going into the locker room that that five-point lead was going to disappear pretty quickly. As they were walking in, Butler pulled Jamie McNeely aside and he said, hey, put me on Kemba. And McNeely was like, what? What are you talking about here? And Jimmy went into this series of hand motions where he was, he was kind of mimicking what Kemba does. Basically, every move Kemba had, he he replicated it right there on the walk-in. So he would say, dribble left, back to the right, pump fake, shot. And then he told Jamie McNeely, I'll be there. At the end of this move, every move he showed of Kemba Walker, he said, I'll be there. I'll be right in front of him. I know what he does before he does it. And so in the second half, they put Butler on Walker, and he still had a great game. If you look at the box score, he did not shut down Kemba Walker, but he dogged him. Mm. He dogged him. He made every shot hard. Um, But sure enough, UConn roared back and had a lead for most of the second half, and in the last minute, uh, Kemba Walker he had the ball. He brought it up. Um, they put it in his hands, and he missed the shot. Walker off the dribble, takes it in a little bit shy, and Butler rips down the rebound. Butler got the rebound, and um, it was setting up for Jimmy Butler to take the last shot, which is something. How many times have we how many times have we seen it? But this was before Jimmy buckets. You know, he was being born that night.
0: End to play. Jimmy Butler looks up at the clock. Seven left.
2: Butler drives the lane, takes this off balance jumper. I don't know what the percentages would be on him making it. Uh, he had a hand in his face. He's fading away, and he puts up the shot.
0: Heads to the right. Drives right on Edwards. Puts up
1: a wild runner. Banks it home. Two point eight seconds left.
2: Here's... Shot goes in. What a shot by Jimmy Butler. It was a whistle. Down- you know, <laughs> remarkable shot. Marquette, 70, UConn, 68. That was the day Jimmy Buckets
1: arrived. So that is the origin story of Jimmy Buckets. But it's a while before the rest of the world really recognizes him as such. And, and that season is junior season. They end up uh, you know, going on a run after that win against UConn, they make the tournament. They lose the first round. The next season, as a senior, they get all the way to the Sweet 16 before getting crushed by North Carolina. And and he's he's lifted the program. He's elevated the program, but it still hasn't made him anything close to a sure thing as a pro in the NBA. So as his college career is coming to an
2: end, and he's pointing toward the pros. Where does he stand? I tried to make the point. It's an important point that I should say, which is that that shot against UConn and the end of his Marquette career, it's where he discovered Jimmy Buckets. It's not that he became Jimmy Buckets and mm. always became a 30-point scorer and remained so. Because his college career wound down. It was a good end, you know, good college career. Uh, but it's well-known NBA lore by now that this, the, he was the 30th pick in the 2011 draft a rookie he he started zero games you know (laughs) think about this for a second you know he averaged 2.6 points per game and when you think about in the in the nba history how many guys are, are become top five top 10 players uh who didn't start a game as a rookie not because they were hurt but because they weren't quite good enough but the rise had begun you know he had it in him he knew he had it in him And he did a lot of the same things. He just, he did all the grunt work to get minutes and get in the game and get those 2.6 points per game. And it started to pay off, you know, he pushed himself, he pushed teammates the same way, very vocal. And so when he came back for that second season, he ended up starting 20 games, which is still unbelievable when you think about him now that like he had started through two years, had started 20 games as an NBA player. It's unbelievable. You know, but he pounded the boards and the, the ascension really began that's when it started and it's continued to this day
1: he's come a long way from Tyler
2: long way long way what a rise Ryan thank you for
1: sharing with us the origin story of Jimmy Buckets three wins away from an NBA title
2: Three wins away. Unbelievable. What a story. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm Jeremy Schapp. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow.